This podcast is part of the Paris Fintech Forum Communities Programme and is brought to you with the support of BPI France. You're listening to the Fintech Podcast, the show that goes deep into the stories, the successes and failures that went into creating some of the world's most fantastic fintechs. Gotkin, and in this episode, his grandfather founded the Cincinnati Bengals American football team. Ricky Knox co-founded Neobank Tandem, while almost striking gold with Bitcoin. One of our friends actually said, you have to buy crypto to play poker at my house. So uh, we don't play a, a, a big game, it's sort of 20 pounds in, but t- 20 pounds at two Bitcoin, uh, it, 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 it retrospectively was quite a big <laughs> game of poker. The unamusing thing is I lost, I'm not very good at poker, and so I lost most of my Bitcoin, although I do have a, a, a small holding that can now be considered a reasonably large holding. But the funniest one is Paddy, who is uh, particularly good at poker, and in fact has started his own cryptocurrency now called Minima. Uh, not only did he um, make himself extremely wealthy, because he's been a you know, lifetime holder with literally hundreds and hundreds of Bitcoin. Um, uh, but he also made his um, personal trainer incredibly rich, who he paid in Bitcoin at five Bitcoin an hour initially. This far-sighted personal trainer also did not sell any of his Bitcoin and has gone and bought, as far as I can tell, you know, uh, a, a small part of Greater Manchester um, and moved, moved back up north to go and enjoy his ill-gotten gains. Yeah, the, 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 group's, the group's done well. Um, I, me, me, maybe not so quite so much. Ricky Knox, founder and former CEO of Tandem. Thanks so much for joining me on the FNTech podcast. Hi there. Great to see you, Elliot. It is. It is. It's, it's been a while. Um, now, I introduced you as founder, but but I, I, I see you in many places you're down as co-founder. But uh, unlike many startups, there's actually more than one or two of you as co-founders. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So actually, we set the business up with Matt Cooper, one of the founders of Capital One, and Michael Kent, who's been my business partner for a long time. Uh, and we call ourselves founders. We actually started uh, um, a, a program at Tandem to, uh, to essentially co-create the bank um, with, a, with a group of early customers. And we invited customers to be co-founders of the bank um, uh, and, um, and, and participate in the equity as well as, um, uh, as well as to help us with sort of early product design, market research and everything else. So it was, uh, it was, it was a relatively innovative thing to do at the time. Uh, it ha- it, it sort of got quasi copied by some of the other players, but, um, uh, but it, but it was really useful as an early community to help us build, um, uh, build the bank around the customer rather than sort of invent on their behalf what we thought they might want. But, but there's like a hundred, a few hundred co-founders effectively. Yeah, it was actually 10,000, well, 10,063 co-founders. We tried to stop it at 10,000, but they were coming, they were coming thick and fast at that point. So we, uh, we ended up with 10,063 co-founders oh. um, and had, you know, some fun events with that, that group and in as a, as, as a whole group and, and also sort of weekly meetups and breakfasts and various stuff, um, uh, pretty constant interaction with them, which was great. Um, although we haven't taken that much advantage of it in, you know, in, in the more recent times, we actually did issue a co-founder credit card. So those guys who were in the co-founder program got their own special black card that said co-founder on it. So, uh, that was quite exciting for them. 
I wonder if all of their LinkedIn profiles kind of put co-founder of Tandem on there. Well, funnily enough, some people did. Uh, we had some, uh, not not a lot, <laughs> 20 or 30. Um, uh, and we did, we actually said, look, it's fine. You don't have to take it down. You can stick it up. Right. Um, uh, although if somebody calls us for a reference, we will clarify that you didn't work here. <laughs> Very good. Well, look, Ricky, of course, uh, last time we saw each other in person, well, I think it was in Hong Kong in 2019 since then of course we've had the apocalypse we've uh, also on a personal level you've actually since left tandem uh, the neobank that you co-founded now i know you can't give us uh, everything warts and all because you've signed i think a few non-disclosure agreements but maybe you can just tell us as much as you can about about what happened and, and why you left sure i mean you know super high level I mean, left by you know by mutual agreement all very amicable um uh the time had come for um uh you know the business was was essentially at profitability and it was a point at which um uh the next stage of the journey uh was was more efficiently uh, executed by um uh by someone other than myself and and indeed you know i have a number of other projects i've been working on uh which i was excited to move forward so uh so yeah i was very much the right time for all parties that sounds very uh diplomatic uh, kind of uh, speak uh, someone else could uh, more efficiently uh, do things where it was time but um, I mean w- was there any particular issue that was kind of right this now marks the time I know you for example you scrapped your credit card uh, at one point uh, in a bit to kind of bring forward the profitability um, was that one of the main issues or was it just a whole host of things no nope. uh, not really I mean the the credit card was uh, so tandem did make a um uh, essentially a strategic move towards lending in the green space. So, um, uh, which was, which was absolutely, you know, a strategy that I was very excited about. The board was fully behind. Um, uh, and as part of that move, um, and an acquisition that we made, we ended up making at the end of, um, of 2020, um, uh, it was, it, it wasn't right to continue with the credit card. Um, the credit card was a, product um which was uh you know exciting and innovative um you know when we brought it in but we actually discontinued at the beginning of the pandemic um and um interestingly uh the we discontinued slightly for the wrong reason which is we thought that we were going to have massive credit losses but in fact uh, it was bloody good that we discontinued it because uh, the profitability of credit cards shifted massively for a different reason which is 30 percent of credit card balances roughly in the uk were paid back during the pandemic so uh the the only one thing worse than people losing your money is actually nobody borrowing any money because credit cards are quite expensive to run and because there's no interchange or very little interchange on on credit cards in Europe, um, uh, all of the revenue comes from borrowing. And so that creates um, uh, a challenge if everyone pays all the credit cards off. Uh, so uh, so we, 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 we closed the credit card uh, for the wrong reasons, but uh, we were very pleased with our decision retrospectively either way. Right. Yeah. I suppose no one, uh, no one will quibble over the timing as long as you uh, got it right or, or the reasoning behind it. So, so post Ricky uh, tandem is going to become what, like a bit duller, more kind of plain vanilla savings. Oh, I mean, post pre Ricky tandem is, is focused on, um, uh, you know, green lending, but also, but, but generally lending to, to homeowners across mortgages, um, solar panel loans, um, this type of stuff um, uh, to sort of improve their lives, improve their homes. 
and um, uh, and 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 obviously has a has a big savings franchise as well. Um, they're doing some exciting things in that area as, uh, as well. But no, I mean, I think all of those all of those shifts predated. Um, uh, you know, um, predated my departure, but you know, very happy um, with with the directions taking, and you know, it's um, uh, excited uh, to see how it uh, how how it flies the nest in future. And I guess now, you know, it's a good time for you to perhaps put your feet up for a little bit. And uh, you know, I know your diary wasn't uh, as chocolate, it wasn't as hard perhaps to uh, to arrange this podcast with you as it otherwise might have been. Yeah, no, I'm doing. Uh, got a few new ventures on the boil which is exciting uh mostly working with you know mike my, my sort of long-term business partner who's founder of asimo with me as well as small world um and uh but but yeah he um uh as as he said um as we were discussing uh my departure he said you definitely need to start with a summer of fun so i've been working hard on a summer of fun uh uh, for the last couple of months, and, uh, and have, a, have good have good plans to, um, to to reengage properly in September. Although, although actually, I've got quite a few meetings today and tomorrow with some exciting people who are sort of lateral thinkers. Um, uh, Thomas Heatherwick, um, who designed uh, the sort of King's Cross area in 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 and Google's new headquarters in London. Um, uh, you know, some some sort of mad inventors um, met up with some games people yesterday. So yeah, just meeting up with sort of people with creative minds and thinking through um, uh, the next mad idea. Uh, but uh, is it fair to say? I mean, you still have your kind of equity position in in tandem, so you're still very much uh, keen to see them succeed. Yeah, absolutely. No, and and look, I think you know there's a there's a there's a great future ahead for tandem. Uh, you know, there. You know, we we aren't playing exactly the same game that Monzo or Chime uh, or even Starling Bank are playing. Although interestingly, Starling pivoted very significantly closer to what Tandem is up to with their acquisition of Fleet Mortgages uh, a few weeks ago. So they bought a monster traditionally sourced broker 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 sourced um, uh, mortgage platform, which is doing billions a year. Um, and so, um, you know, they will. Um, find somewhere to put ultimately all the billions of consumer deposits that they already have on the balance sheet um so you know i think there is a little bit of a uh, of a of a move afoot across the neo banking space to you know and driven in part by the regulator to move to long term sustainability um it's not unreasonable you know that 3 to 5 years into the into the sort of journey for many of these banks and um you know whether even the non banks like revolut are, are are pursuing profitability um uh you know not, not necessarily as a primary aim but um but but it's something i think everyone would like to would like to see across the industry certainly bank of england would sure and i mean look uh, clearly running a neobank isn't easy um uh, you know whether you're tandem or revolut or starling or whoever um maybe you can maybe uh, just paint us a bit of a picture of of how you got it off the ground because you know seeing the neobanks as they are today and then seeing where they were a few years back you know at, at the concept stage and then having to found it finance it run it i mean can you perhaps give us a, a whistle-stop tour of the kind of excitement challenges and um I don't know despair that perhaps uh, stalked you in the early days and and how it was for you. Sure, sure. I mean, I I, I think uh, one of the interesting things I suppose is when I first decided to set up a bank. You know, it was it was the Metro Bank had um, 
previously set up a sort of new high street bank, claimed to be the first in 100 years. I'm not sure that was quite true, but there have been very few banking licenses given out in the UK. Um, uh, we um, uh, we approached the PRA about building a new digital bank. Um, uh, you know, in 2014, actually, we had our first meeting in July, um, and um, and they weren't. Uh, I wouldn't say they were encouraging, but they certainly weren't discouraging. Um, and um, they they told us that you know it's a very hard process, could take a long time. They need to raise an awful you know, lot of capital um, uh, before we had you know operations live, etc. But there was this new option B that had been available for a couple of years, uh, sort of pioneered by Metro, which meant that you could get the license um, uh, um, before you either built all the tech or uh, raised all the money. So that did make it you know possible rather than impossible. Um, uh, but but ultimately, you know, it was it's interesting because, you know, the, the, the first probably two, three years of Tandem's life, in fact, longer than that, um, uh, you know, we, we really started properly in sort of 2015. And then, you know, we actually launched as a bank in 20 January 2018. So, you know, it really was three years um, of, 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 of pushing forward to get the banking license where that was a sort of primary objective. And so compared to a normal startup where you'd be getting straight on with your MVP, getting something out there, getting it into people's hands, you know, at the time, uh, the Bank of England was pretty clear that, uh, we weren't allowed to get anything into people's hands until we had, until we had our provisional, uh, license. So, um, uh, so we basically, uh, we didn't do very much. Well, we didn't do very much with, with customers. We actually did have an app. Um, that allowed customers to see their other bank accounts and leverage open banking essentially to or earlier versions of open banking uh, to start saving money and engaging with their cash and our co-founders helped to design that um, uh, but the journey was 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 very hard in that we had to you know I think by the time we actually launched in 2018 we'd raised about um, 130 million pounds so raising 130 million pounds for pre-revenue startup is certainly one of the harder things I've attempted um, in my life to date um, don't plan to do it again <laughs> exactly that 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 form and and people had raised slightly different amounts but everyone had raised tens of millions of pounds uh, prior to you know minting their first cent and that that's really hard because most startups you know they might raise five they might raise ten before they before they hit revenue unless it's a med tech or a sort of drug discovery business or something or you know a games business film you know where which are much bigger sort of bets um, uh, it's very very unusual for people to have raised tens of millions let alone 100 million plus prior to making revenue so that was tough I mean, was that the the toughest thing? I mean, were, were there any other kind of, uh, you know, uh, moments from the tandem story that were particularly uh, painful that have, uh, that you're still wearing the scars from? Um, I mean, I think the, the interesting thing is that the whole industry, there wasn't a sort of established digital banking model. Everybody's coming at it with a very different perspective. I mean, you see the same thing in the States with Chime and Moneyline. Moneyline started as a sort of loans business. Uh, Chime for, took a sort of prepaid debit card approach. Um, you know, Revolut came from a, you know, Forex, you know, transfer card. You know, the, 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 the sort of... The, the starting stories for a lot of these neobanks were actually were not the same and 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 they have converged towards some common sort of themes but those those themes were sort of hard learned if you like over over time uh you know by by various people um you know trying things and and them not working and working so you know i don't think nothing was um we didn't have uh any 
any any particularly sort of hard uh, hard times. We had difficult times raising funds at various points. Um, uh, and then it was a bit painful withdrawing the credit card. It was the right thing to do, but but our customers love the credit card. So we got absolutely slated on social media for, for withdrawing a product that they all really loved. So that was sad. But you know, uh, also also sort of part of part of part of the you know startup journey. So no, it's been I mean on reflection it was it was it it was it was a great ride, if not an easy one. And any advice for others looking to tread the same path? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure neo banking is 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 actually what I would do right now. Um, I think that that sort of ship has sailed. I, I think if people want to, you know, take advantage of some of the dynamics that drove that market, there are obviously two big different businesses that that one is a prepaid card where you can take advantage of the excellent engagement dynamics and sort of understanding of customers' financial data, even doing that through open banking. So there's sort of some stuff, you know, you, if you want to proxy a bank and remember Revolut's still not a bank in the UK. It's a, it, you know, it, it's a prepaid card provider. You get, you can do almost everything you do with a bank with a prepaid card provider apart from Collect deposits and make money out of those deposits. The other side of the of the of the business, and increasingly that's true, you know, with Starling's acquisition, but 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 across the board, you know, the the reality is banks make all their money out of lending. Now, most banks in the UK make well, retail banks make their money out of mortgage lending, but but it can be any type of lending. Um, and so you can build a really exciting lending business. But I think uh, one of the things that you need to consider when you move from sort of the payment side and and the card side. Uh, which is harder to find a good business model to lending, which is a really clear business model, is that lending businesses tend to be valued at a multiple of book value, um, which is how banks are, are valued. And that that will present, a, you know, it's essentially a sort of 10x lower valuation than you might get as a tech business um, in most cases. So, 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 you know, absolutely there's some really solid you know business models on the lending side which are which are exciting and you should think about um but but be aware that that will cap your upside significantly in terms of you know exciting venture exits um uh so yeah that would be my my core word of wisdom don't don't build a new bank <laughs> decide whether you want to play the payments you know payments card side of things or whether you want to play the lending side of things um uh and but be aware of the of the advantages and disadvantages that come with both those both those things right so if you want to stick to being uh, considered a tech uh, company with high valuations then then don't go down the kind of lending yeah. uh, deposit uh, deposits route all right uh, well look ricky we're going to come back to your story in, in just a moment i just need to remind our listeners that this podcast is part of the paris fintech forum communities program for 2021 and in this special pandemic period you can enjoy throughout the year top level live sessions with key industry players exclusive on-demand interviews such as this one and use our innovative digital networking capabilities to meet your peers develop your network create new business opportunities and to continue to build together the future of the fin and tech industry and you can find out more at www.parisfintechforum.com. Uh, now, Ricky, a Tandem, of course, wasn't your first startup. Was being an entrepreneur something uh, the young uh, Ricky Knox was always destined to do? The funny question. Um, uh, so I, I was quite excited about uh, being an entrepreneur. My grandfather um, actually was an American football player and, and very working class background, but founded the Cincinnati Bengals. And, and his kids, of which he had many, um, uh, my dad was the most boring uh, as a headmaster, but um, but most of them founded their own businesses um, uh, and had had pretty interesting entrepreneurial careers. So there was 
relatively unusually for UK at the time, because I was coming out of a UK university, I was, I was interested in entrepreneurship, you know, at school and university and indeed started, I was reminded yesterday, somebody was asking me whether I'd ever done anything creative, uh, which took a little bit of umbrage because I think creating businesses is a pretty creative venture, but uh, to put it in context, this person was in the sort of um, film, TV uh, and video games industry. So um, uh, and I remembered, guys. I dredged out of my memory that at university, I actually founded a clothing design business, um, uh, which was uh, my first my first venture, uh, making Airtex clubbing clothes uh, called Thin Clothing. Um, so, so the answer is, I was, you know, I was I was starting companies from a very early age. I had a brief sojourn off into VC and and Strat Consulting to try and learn a few more formal skills. Um, but then post MBA, I've basically been starting my own businesses um, since then, um, and you know everything from telecoms to a sort of foreign exchange software business to um to remittance businesses and 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 on to tandem and 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 more uh shortly uh watch this space there's one one of which is sort of well i wouldn't say it's out of stealth but they're doing a wealth tech business which is a little bit more advanced about to raise a, a significant funding round so um uh so yeah um the story continues well, yeah, I want to come uh, come back to your uh, your what what happens next in a moment. But sorry, you, your your grandfather just to, founded the Cincinnati Bengals American football team. Football team, team. yeah. So is, is that, is that still in Dutch your family? Knox. What was that? Is it still in your family the football team? Uh, no, it's not. It was sold. Um, uh, and he was one of the founders. I think he only owned about six percent of it. But what they did was they had a. There was a team of about five guys who founded it with three players and and um uh, and a and a couple of uh, sort of managers who wanted to set up a new team for Cincinnati, um and so they set up the Bengals and and um uh, yeah so that was that was his story he's in the American Football Hall of Fame under Dutch Knox he was called Dutch because if you were had red hair at the time you were considered Dutch in the U.S. I'm not quite sure how that works because as far as I've noticed the Dutch or blonde I've never seen a redhead over there but yeah. They uh, another American thing. They had they hadn't left America, so they didn't realize that they they'd got the color wrong. Right. So maybe uh, uh, for those that don't know you, you still got some some red there, especially uh, on the on the beard side. So uh, maybe that can be your new your your nickname as well. And, My and, new moniker. Excellent. Yeah. Did, uh, and, and sorry, forgive me. Your, your grandfather he played American football and then he yeah he played for the Detroit Lions. So he played. He had a, a reasonably distinguished American football career um, uh, playing for the Detroit Lions and then and then and then found the Cincinnati Bengals. That is a funny. I, I, the story hasn't come up in any in any fintech interviews before. So uh, so so well done for dredging out unusual facts from my background. <laughs> Well, I'd love. Uh, is this perhaps where you get your your physique from, Ricky? Your your grandfather. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, yeah, getting getting old and fat. You mean? Yeah, no. Um. Uh. Yeah. No. But yeah. But potentially from that side of the family. Wow! Amazing. And you said you you founded your own clubbing clothing line. What what was it called again? Sin. Called Sin Clothing. Sin Clothing. I did even describe this company was today still? was like I did wear I did wear some of that. Yeah, it was uh, it was one off pieces. It was very much about design and sort of. Uh, and one-off manufacture. Um, quite apart from the fact that I probably couldn't have organised anything more significantly uh, process-driven than that at university, but um, but it was, um, but yeah, it was good fun. And that was successful. I mean, you made some money out of it. 
I mean, yes, I made some money out of it. Success uh, me me measured measured probably in in the same sort of quanta that you were getting paid for this podcast and a few before and after. But yes, <laughs> uh, that type of so success. Not, so not much then. Okay. So oh, I'm glad you uh... only billions, only billions. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you uh, brought up the uh, the uh, uh, idea of of clubbing and and partying because I know we we've hung out at the Paris FinTech Forum before. You you are you know uh, the life and soul of the party uh, i mean were, were you a, were you a good student um, when you were growing up or, or presumably you were trying to have a good time at the same time was it hard to balance the two yeah it, interestingly I've, i well i got a first class degree in in economics from bristol so um and and you know sort of a's at 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 a level in gcse although i think it would be fair to say that i interspersed i almost failed my first year of university so um, I, I slightly overdid the the partying working balance, but I managed to address that in in years two, three, and four of uh, of my degree. So, um, uh, so I managed to find a happier balance. No, I mean it's an interesting one because I think in life, it's super important to um, to be able to find that balance. And actually, you know, uh, it was an interesting lesson from my first year, which is, you know, actually the the having fun isn't nearly as fun. Uh, if you are just having fun and you're not actually going and getting some serious work done and, and and moving things forwards in other areas of your life, the best way to really enjoy your time off is to make sure it, it's it's time off rather than just time. <laughs> and the, the moment it becomes what you're doing all the time, uh, it's a little bit less fun and, and, and results in some bad outcomes for everybody. Right. And uh, did I recall correctly that, that you, you had a, a friend at INSEA, you, did you run kind of like club nights or parties or something, or did I just make that up? Uh, it's not so far. So interestingly, the three founders of, of, of Small World Financial Services all had in common one thing, which is at one point or other, they had, we had promoted club nights. So um, the slightly unlikely Nick Day uh, founded something called the Kitten Club uh, when he was at Oxford. Mike ran, I can't remember, some sort of college club night. Um, I can't remember what it was called. Um, and I ran a night, which I also called Sin, um, when I was at university in, um, uh, in in France, actually. I spent a year abroad in Toulouse and, and, and ran some club nights there. But yeah, so, so it was a bunch of, uh, you know, ex-club promoters running a uh, money transfer company, or rather a bunch of, you know, university uh, <laughs> people who tried to do something constructive other than, you know, drink and study at university, I say, would probably be a more accurate way of describing it. Right. And you mentioned a couple of the, uh, uh, you know, more serious ventures that you, you founded post, I think, your MBA. Can you perhaps give us a, a flavor of what you did? Did you go straight from MBA to, to consulting or then on to, to founding uh, businesses? What was the kind of route? I actually started a company while I was on my MBA um, that was doing telecoms. Um, we we're recycling network hardware out of Europe and the US and selling it into Africa, building some of Africa's first mobile networks, which was quite exciting um, and, and pretty transformational from a development perspective as well, because at the time, you know, there weren't fixed line networks. We our first country in Africa was Central African Republic where we installed the network and uh, I don't know if even heard of it um, but it's it's a landlocked country super super poor one of the poorest countries in Africa and and um, uh, and they had no fixed line infrastructure outside the capital city um, so you know people were literally cut, cut off unless they sort of were several um, you know uh, several hours of walking or, uh, or, or or animal riding to get uh, to, to get a message across the country um, 
uh, and, um, and, and so bringing in mobile networks made a really big impact on those countries. And they were able to do it at about 10% of the new cost because we were essentially buying the stuff that O2 was kicking out in the UK, um, which still had 15 year life on it and we'd refurbish it and sell it in, um, in Central African public. Um, and you you went uh, over there and you were I mean there must have been some oh, interesting yeah. uh, stories. Oh, yeah, um, well it was it was it was two things were useful. One, I speak a few languages, and so all of those came in quite handy. And yes, if you want to do business in Africa, and that was a lesson that that, that, that persisted in two small world and Asmo as well. Um, indeed, in South America, face to face is incredibly important. You don't you you can't you can't seal a deal on the phone or over email. This just doesn't it doesn't work that way. And I think that's even I don't know whether that's changed in the pandemic. It'd be interesting to find out, but I suspect it hasn't because uh, the pandemic wasn't taken quite as um, I'd say seriously um, from a health perspective because there are plenty of other health challenges um, in in many of those African countries. But in terms of doing business over there, I mean, were there any uh, kind of run-ins with uh, with the law or other other kind of uh, uh, anecdotes uh, from your time there that uh, perhaps? Uh, um, well, I mean, lots of lots of anecdotes, um, uh, but but no, fortunately, no run-ins with the law. Um, uh, the um, my my favorite uh, um, uh, my my favorite little anecdote was after we put in the Central African Republic um, uh, mobile system, it took quite a while. Um, uh, it, it wasn't a big network. It was sort of 20 nodes or so, but it covered a lot of the country. Um, and, um, uh, and, and something broke about, um, uh, sort of six months into the operation, which is actually the, the sort of, if you like the core spine of what's called the backhaul network, which is a microwave network, um, big dishes that essentially send the data back, um, to when there's no cables under the ground. Um, and, um, uh, and they, they called us to 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 get this replaced, and we sent out a microwave hop immediately. But we had it held at um at the, at the port uh, until they paid us because at the time um you know it wasn't wise to um extend credit to um, even African telecoms operators, and 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 indeed it was borne out because in the end we got paid by a check um from the national bus company. Um, which took about four weeks to clear, during which the time the entire Central African Republic had no mobile coverage. <laughs> as we and when the check finally arrived, it was you know they literally had stamped it, it had gone through the correspondent banking system, which was an interesting lesson for my later adventures in in international money transfer. And it had stamps; it had gone from you know sort of um, Citibank in the U.S. where we'd encashed it across to uh, um, uh, Citibank in London, across to a bank in Paris, and then from there you can't even get direct in Central African Republic, gone to Cameroon, then Mali, then uh, then 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 Central African Republic. So so if you were trying to move money or indeed checks through the system, uh, there was a good lesson there for why remittances needed a little bit of extra help uh, to help uh, immigrants get money home for some of my later businesses. But uh, but yeah, I, I I I once left an African country without cell coverage for four weeks because of their because of an unpaid check. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, amazing how things have changed now. That uh, you know, you could probably do that transfer in uh, in the blink of an eye. Uh, so this was uh, GSM Systems, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, and then next came Asimo. Uh, what, what was well, actually, Asimo I did ClarityFX between those two, which didn't put my CV, which was a foreign exchange software business um, that was we we sold quite successfully, um, uh, but we sold the assets. It was a, a bit of a complex situation because we were. 
uh, trying to help corporates save money um, uh, where their banks have been ripping them off on foreign exchange. And, and that obviously incited a few lawsuits from uh, friendly banks um, at the beginning of my sort of anti-bank career. Um, and uh, and also um, uh, we were taking a, a reasonable chunk of the savings of our customers. So we even had a few irate customers as well. But it, so I don't don't I don't don't stick it up on the LinkedIn. But um, uh, but it, it was it was it was financially extremely successful venture and 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 set me up to set up Hack Hexagon Partners, which was a sort of a fund to um, essentially a family office fund, but to, to invest in um, technologies disruption and retail financial services which is kind of one half of fintech now so um uh we were reasonably early on that uh, on that tip in 2005 when we set that up and then out of that we created small world and then out of that we also created asimo um so two remittance two remittance businesses so um and then on to tandem and of these um you know many <clears throat> businesses that you founded. I mean, you, you haven't mentioned any failures. I don't know if uh, if there were any or if you just uh, glossed over them. But uh, were there any that didn't uh, go according to plan that kind of uh, left you regretting getting into it in the first place or left you out of pocket? Uh, sure, I'm out of pocket. No, <laughs> definitely not. Um, uh, the regretting probably not either. Um, no, we def- definitely had tough times along the way, and and you know as I just alluded to, Clarity FX, and there's a reason why I didn't put my LinkedIn, which is you know ended up in a in a hail of lawsuits, which was not exactly how you want to finish up a business, although we did manage to sell it and make good, good economics out of it. Um, uh, um, and and the and lawsuits then, didn't. But- uh- Sorry, Ricky. The no, no. Luckily, uh, nothing stuck on on me, but it was it was all company level. <laughs> Def one. Obviously, the, the only thing I've ever I was to declare this in my bank of the, the forms. We didn't. Um, when we were at, when we were at Small World, we didn't pay rent because somebody had the roof had fallen in on our office, and we we just moved and refused to pay. And I got taken to county court um, personally uh, by the by the landlord. It was which is quite the cheekiest thing ever, given the fact that he didn't win, but um, but I was taken to county court because we hadn't paid rent for a year but but the fact is the the, the building didn't have a roof so it was quite difficult to keep our computers in it and keep them dry etc right. so um but yeah it was a bit of a quite airy though it's good you say that was hairy and then and then the only yeah the other one which i think uh we may have mentioned before but when uh had a hairy uh time at at, at, at small world um in 2008-9 which was obviously sort of global financial crisis and um, we had a, a, a debt funding that fell through, but then um, we also just bought a, a large business. It had been a roll-up, a failed roll-up, essentially, um, of, of money transfer businesses. And we bought it for a buck uh, out of administration, but um, it was losing a massive amount of money, you know, on a, on a monthly basis. And um, we had we obviously didn't have to pay any money for it but we had you know it had debts as well and we only had cash reserves about six million pounds and that was only covered a couple of months of losses um uh from this business so we had a, a quite a torrid time in uh christmas 20 2008 um mike and i were also having babies at the same time and trying to basically fire half the staff over Christmas just as a massive economic crisis was coming through as well as juggle uh, wives and babies and everything else uh, was was a recently challenging patch to say the least probably one of my least favorite uh, months of my entire business career but um, uh, but we uh, we made it through in that business you know was 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 sold um, uh, you know a, a couple of years later 
um, and then and then finally we exited the last of our shareholding in 2018. So you know it was a it was it was a success story. Although there's no doubt that 20, 2008 2009 was a hiccup rather than a um, a sort of glorious uh, um, ascension uh, into business success. Right, and then I think most recently, of course, you founded uh, Tandem in 2014-2015, which actually was around the same time as, I think, Starling, Revolut, Monzo, and all the others. Um, do you ever kind of look at them and think that should have been Tandem? You know, like Revolut's what value last valuation more than thirty billion dollars. Uh, you know, do you ever do you ever think you know that that could have been us? That should have been us. Um, I suppose I don't really think about the world in quite that way. Um, uh, you know, I think um, I think Revolut have uh, have played a, a a clever game. I personally think they should um, uh, the the sort of tr I, I'm, they're trying to get a banking license in the UK at the moment, and I and I'm not sure that'll that'll work out. And I'm not sure it would actually be would have been my strategy if I'd if I'd had their assets and, and their market position. You know, the the thing they've done extremely well is you know, spreading out internationally. They're now declaring in their latest ads, you know, their, their wish to become a sort of uh, essentially a, a, a bit like WeChat for money. Um, uh, so so a sort of integrated universal money app, um, uh, which actually I think is a much more interesting direction than saying they want to be a massive digital bank because, as I mentioned before, the digital bank has the, has the headwinds of, uh, um, uh, of, 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 of lending driving lower valuations, but also uh, the the regulation around banking making it much more difficult to internationalize your business. Um, so um, uh, so I think you know that's a really exciting business. But if I'm honest, it's own it's it's inaccurately classed as a neo bank in my view. It does have a banking license in Europe, um, uh, in Slovakia or somewhere. Um, uh, no, Lithuania, uh, I think. Um, uh, but um, uh, but but it but you know it, it's not quite in the same category now you know uh, I think Monzo did an incredible job of building uh, you know early customer product and getting out there and and getting incredible customer traction with five million uh, you know five million customers but you know they're 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 also not not in clover just yet um, uh, you know Starling I, I you know awesome but you know i was determined not to do sme banking and they got 100 million pounds from rbs fund and then you know c bills and b bills following that out of the sme area but you know i don't i don't go oh, damn i should have done sme you know I, I we decided we didn't want to be an sme bank very very early on and i still think that was a good decision you know so yeah and and chime in the us which is absolutely smashing it now in 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 um and actually probably the most successful of the actual and in fact they're not a bank either but 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 they are you know taking the role of a bank um uh rather than something more generalized so look i mean in some ways i wish i'd i'd, I'd had the best moments of, of of all of these fintechs you know robin hood's early customer acquisition you know etc etc but um uh um but no i don't look back and go uh damn you know uh, i mean certainly you go fucking well done because you know there's been some awesome successes in that area and you know we hope, could still hope, <laughs> to have uh, some some pretty awesome results from Tandem in the in the longer term, um, uh, but um, uh, but yeah, um, uh, don't don't get don't get too don't get too wound up about it. And and you know, it's uh, my objective in building businesses has never really been to you know um, to make the maximum coin. It's to build an exciting business that has a purpose in the world that does something good. 
um, uh, and and works, um, all of which I managed to do. Right. And of course, one area that a lot of people in fintech, if we can call it that, are getting excited about is, is, is crypto. Uh, I know you were quite early to the crypto craze. You were making me quite jealous, I think, the first time uh, we met because you were telling me how you and your friends uh, did uh, pretty well out of it. Yeah, no, it's, I'm I'm lucky enough, honest, uh, on, on, uh, that, that that I have some friends who have had far more foresight than I do, and um, were early buying crypto in Mount Gox um, a couple of years after Satoshi <laughs> kicked it off um, at about eleven dollars, um, and and so you know one of our friends actually said you have to buy crypto to play poker at my house. So we don't play a, a a big game. It's sort of twenty pounds in, but twenty pounds at two Bitcoin. Uh, it, 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 it retrospectively was quite a big game of poker. Um, the, the 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 unamusing thing is I lost. I'm not very good at poker, and so I lost most of my Bitcoin. Although I do have a a, a small holding that can now be considered a reasonably large holding. Um, uh, but um, uh, but the funniest one is Paddy, who is uh, particularly good at poker and, in fact, has started his own cryptocurrency now called Minima. Uh, do check it out, listeners. Um, uh, um, but um, uh, Paddy, uh, not only did he uh, make himself extremely wealthy because he's been a you know, lifetime holder with literally hundreds and hundreds of Bitcoin, um, uh, but he also made his um, personal trainer incredibly rich, who he paid in Bitcoin at five Bitcoin an hour initially. Uh, went down over time to uh, to sort of four Bitcoin, three Bitcoin, two Bitcoin. But this this force this far sighted personal trainer also did not sell any of his Bitcoin, and has gone and bought, as far as I can tell, you know, uh, a, a small part of Greater Manchester, um, and moved moved back up north to go and enjoy his ill gotten gains. But yeah. And, and and Paddy is residing in a large George mansion and, and a few hundred acres of Somerset, um, uh, working hard on his own cryptocurrency. So yeah, the the, the groups the groups done well. Um, I, me me maybe not so quite so much, but uh, um, uh, but but yeah, it was it was exciting times. Well, thanks for making me uh, uh, extremely jealous once again and reminding me of. Uh, <laughs> What could have been, uh, you know, I remember reporting, you know, at Bloomberg Television when I was back then, you know, and we're talking about Bitcoin and just thinking, no, oh, you know, whatever, it's just some other thing that we're just talking about. <laughs> and then obviously uh, we are where we are today. But uh, most importantly, Ricky, the one thing we haven't really gone into much detail, you mentioned a couple of things that perhaps you might do or you got meetings with games companies or mad cap inventors and what have you. Did you have any particular preference as to what, what comes next for you? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, there are sort of two different uh um, two two different themes. I mean, there's um, one is sort of capitalizing on some of the stuff that I the knowledge I've built up in fintech and looking at where disruptions coming through um, in in different areas of fintech. And I talked already about a wealth tech business I've been working on, um, uh, which will be coming out of stealth shortly. Um, uh, and then um, uh, um, got some other uh, one other sort of fintech business which is interesting around around that area still still relatively under wraps and then I'm brainstorming uh, to see if there's a figure out whether there's a way we can use uh, DeFi or crypto to save the planet um, this is uh, I'd like to describe a pre-idea stage so again listeners if you have any brilliant ideas about how to save the planet with blockchain uh, do be in touch because um, uh, I'm, I'm I'm excited about finding the answer to that question I guess for a start, stop um, mining. Stop mining Bitcoin, yeah. With but there's, uh, there's, coal there's proof of, uh, coal powered. That's a good one. That's a good one. There's proof of state, uh, which doesn't use nearly as much energy, and there's a number of new protocols coming out, including the minimum one I mentioned earlier, which uh, um, uh, which which will 
um, be much more energy efficient um, uh, or even, you know, not use a significant amount of energy. I mean, the 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 trade off in Bitcoin you know, is, is, is that it is extremely secure because they do an awful lot of redundant confirmations to ensure that nobody can hack a confirmation. Uh, they basically, you know, there's there's hundreds of, of 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 unused confirmations for every used confirmation, and it also it obviously confirms the whole chain back to the beginning of time, which is a pretty inefficient process. So uh, yeah, it, it wasn't really. I don't think Satoshi knew knew what the world would look like and how big his invention would get. So he, he didn't design those features in in the early in the early days. Um, uh, but Bitcoin is not a very efficient protocol. Uh, well, I, I look forward to buying your friends. Uh, uh tokens or coins uh, via my Revolut uh, account and we'll see <laughs> we'll make some more money that we'll way sure. I'll push them closer to profitability <laughs> exactly. so um, well, look Ricky this is the final question that I ask everyone on the FM Tech podcast uh, and that is this what is the weirdest or craziest thing you've ever built or done in your life yeah, that, there's, there's quite a lot in contention for that one, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one because um, I was in Ibiza last week with Mike, and um, uh, I drove but through San Antonio and past a hotel, which I think is called something like the Pisces Plaza or something awful, and where I jumped off the hotel roof into the swimming pool for a hundred quid because I didn't have any money left um, uh, when I was at university, um, and uh, I needed spending money for the rest of the week. Um, so yeah, made it three meters out and probably about. 20 30 meters down to uh to a three meter pool um and didn't didn't die which was good but i did scare the shit out of everyone who was around the pools <laughs> who all thought i was i was i was looking to end my life which i was firmly not looking to do right well um i won't ask what uh, gave you the uh, courage the dutch courage perhaps to uh to jump off that roof <laughs> but glad that, you no, that would have been even stupider no no it was it was it was, it was the the, the the value the the time the, the value of money at the time was quite high so yeah right. well glad that you uh, survived that and that you came here today to uh, talk to us really appreciate your taking the time and uh, hope that you can you know enjoy uh, your summer of fun before getting back down to founding uh, whatever business comes next so Ricky Knox co-founder and uh, former CEO of Tandem thanks so much for joining me on the FNTech podcast thanks very much Elliot have a great day. Thanks, you too. Take care. From clubbing clothing to mobile networks in the Central African Republic to neobanking, Ricky Knox's entrepreneurial journey has certainly been eventful. Things may not have gone precisely to plan at Tandem, but you can be sure that whatever he does next will be anything but dull. So thank you, Ricky Knox, and thank you for listening to the FinTech podcast with me, Elliot Gotkin, now part of the Paris FinTech Forum Communities Programme. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can get updates and listen to all previous episodes via the website, www.parisfintechforum.com. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can find us on LinkedIn and on Twitter, at ParisFinForum or at Elliot Gotkin. That's it from me. Thanks again to BPI France for sponsoring this podcast. We'll be back again next time for more of the best F in tech. Hope you'll join us again then. Bye-bye.